Good morning, a beautiful morning, though um, it's been a very difficult week for so many of us. Uh, specifically, a difficult week for me, and I'll tell you why. Being that I am in the public eye, maybe, and I'm assuming I'm not alone with this, many people who have some kind of public presence on social media or however they have that public presence are probably getting a lot of hate. To date, since the war began, I have uh, not only myself, but an AI has censored almost a half a million comments on my social media of pure hate, evil, like unbelievable words that you can't imagine a human even saying. You don't know me. You never met me. We never even had a conversation. To absolutely say these kinds of things to somebody you never met is beyond, beyond what I ever imagined that living in a world with just such absolute pure hatred and evil. And so because of that, and I'm going to be a little, uh, I would say a little selfish today, I thought that I would change the tune a bit and talk about joy. Primarily because I I need to hear it. So I'm speaking to myself. And if anyone else benefits from these words today, uh, I consider it collateral damage. We've spoken about the Baal Shem Tov, Rabbi Israel Baal Shem Tov, the founder of the Hasidic movement. We've spoken about him before here. One, one of the questions that he asks is, and it's something that we've seen uh, so commonly from the soldiers, is why do Jews burst into song and dance at the slightest provocation? I mean, and he asks this question, is this the behavior of a healthy, of, of a sane individual. You see soldiers, videos coming out of soldiers. They should be focused on war. It's a very sad time. Why are they singing and dancing and cheering? And even myself, when I went to the to the to the to, to visit the soldiers, at any any slight provocation, they're singing and dancing. So the Bashemtov responds with a story. He says. Once a musician came to town, a musician of great but unknown talent. He stood in the street corner and he began to play. Those who stopped to listen couldn't tear themselves away, and soon a large crowd stood enthralled by the glorious music. Music that they had never heard before. Before long, the crowd is moving to its rhythm, and the entire street is transformed into a dancing mass of humanity. A deaf man is walking by, someone who suffers from not being able to hear, and wonders, has the world gone mad? Why are the people of my town jumping up and down? Why are they waving their arms and and, and turning in circles in the middle of the street? And so the Bashemtiv smiles and he says, the Jewish people. The Jewish people are moved by the melody 
that issues forth from every creature in God's creation. If it makes them appear mad, then it's just those with less sensitive ears. And should they cease to dance because some people can't hear the music? I think of that Washington Post story. You can find it on YouTube. I think it was 2005 or 2006. They had the the, the famed musician Joshua Bell with a Stradivarius at a train station in Washington, D.C. I think one of the train stations there. And they put him on the street the night before he had performed at one of the greatest theaters in the United States. And people had paid hundreds of dollars to come see him. The next morning, he's standing at the train station and they filmed the hour and a half he's playing there. Trying to show that people don't stop to listen to the music. And surely enough, very few people stopped to listen to the music. There's Joshua Bell. People would pay hundreds of dollars to hear him. He's on a Stradivarius, one of the greatest instruments known to humankind today. And people don't stop to listen to the music. Tradition has it that before the followers of the Baal received the name Hasidim, they were actually called the Freilich, which in Yiddish means the happy ones. From the very inception of the Baal teachings of Hasidism, perpetual joy was a primary distinguishing characteristic of what it meant to be a Hasid. The Baal would say, the ability to be joyous by discerning the good and joyous within every experience to us is a biblical command, meaning to the Hasidim is a biblical command. The ability to discern the good and joyous within every experience. So, how? How today do I, and I guess because we're here together, do you discern that joy from the most difficult experiences? Rabbi Schneer Zalman of Liadi was incarcerated for a second time due to libelous information that was supplied to the Tsarist government, to the Russian government, by the opponents of his teachings. And the first complaint included in the document that they presented to the government was that the Hasidim created a new religion. And the evidence they had was that in the book of the founders of Hasidim, it said that a person has to always be happy not only while praying, but at all times. And they said this idea that a person has to always be happy goes against the tenets of the Jewish religion. Over history, throughout history, the main source of inspiration in the Jewish communities, especially uh, years ago, was the people that were called Magidim. They were preachers. These people were skilled orators. These are people who knew the Torah 
the religious stories, and their mission was to preach morality. Their mission was to awaken a a dormant spirit of Judaism in the hearts of the people that they would speak to. In the beginning of the 18th century, a new uh, quote-unquote fire and brimstone school of of the Magidim, of these preachers, became popular. And many of them were preaching moral and religious conduct as a safeguard against terrible punishments, against a day of judgment. Actually, there are people still today that when terrible things happen, they will say it's because of uh, sin or something like that, which is a a terrible thing, a terrible thing to say. And and I'm not going into that thing because today I want to focus on, on this particular element. The Baal Shem Tov vehemently opposed these Magidim, these preachers. And these are people who, who criticize, they demoralize the Jewish masses. And their goal was to motivate them. But they were doing it through a way of, of chastising and demoralizing them. And although such a statement may may sometimes, in some circumstances, not today, but in some circumstances, could have had its time and place. It's not the, the way that the Baal Shem Tov taught. The Baal Shem Tov said that the Jewish people have suffered two millennia of exile, of persecution, one persecution after another. No one needs to be further chastised and broken. No one needs rebuke. The world has given us enough rebuke. And I can tell you from my personal experience, just this week alone, the world has given us enough rebuke. Fifty years before the Baal Shem Tov's birth, which is the year 1648, the Jewish communities in Eastern Europe had been ravaged by the Chimoniki pogroms. They had been, uh, they had the false uh, Messiah, the Shabzai Tzvi. There was a tremendous, there were pogroms of all sorts. You can look it up, Gezero Tachvatat, a terrible, terrible time, not not as well documented perhaps as the Holocaust, but perhaps of equal or almost equal proportions to the Holocaust. The Baal Shem Tov realized that the people who had survived the pogroms. Most of them were the only members of their family left. Most of them had lost their entire family in the pogroms. They were broken. And he made it his mission to revitalize these people. These people who had no hope, who lived in fear, who trembled. He would travel from village to village He would gather the Jews in the markets or or anywhere he could find them. And he would bring them a message of hope, a message of joy. Teaching that joy itself is precious before God. And that the warmth with which they served God was as dear to him, despite or maybe even due to their simplicity. Simplicity meant that in those days, there were two types of Jews. There were Jews who knew nothing and Jews who were very well-learned. And that discrepancy, the people who were well-learned, they had 
teachings and 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 Judaism to to base themselves on. But the people who were not well learned had their simplicity didn't allow them the ability to understand why would God do this to me. The Semach Tzedek said that the Baal Shem Tov wiped away the tears from the Jewish people. He worked hard to ensure that every single person would be happy simply because they were Jewish. The, the prevailing Jewish philosophy at the time, it advocated for fasting. Anything happened, there would be a fast day. Uh, remorse, uh, self-affliction. That was the prevalent way people would serve God. And in those days, generally, Judaism was defined in in terms of fear of God or or, or solemn somberness. It left very little room for joy. If you go look at uh, 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 some of the pictures from the shtetl, you're going to see people aren't aren't happy. You don't see these smiles on, on the faces. Because joy was perceived as sacrilege. It was perceived as frivolity. The Baal Shem Tov changed that. He taught something different. He said it is better to serve God with joy because self-abnegation causes depression. He would say crying is very bad. A person must serve God with joy. He would say a cardinal rule in serving God is to avoid depression as much as possible. Now, before I discuss how the Bashemtiv revolutionized this view on joy, I want to mention that happiness was never foreign to Judaism. If you look, King David says, serve God with joy. The Talmud says you should not stand up and pray while dejected, but you should only rejoice in the performance of a mitzvah. Yet the concept of what is called in Hebrew simcha shel mitzvah, the joy of a mitzvah, has always been part and parcel of Jewish teachings. There was a a rabbi by the name of Rabbi Joseph Albo. He was a 15th century author. He wrote a book called Sefer Ha'ikarim, and he says there that joy grants completion to a mitzvah. Only through it does the mitzvah achieve its interred objective. There was another rabbi, a 16th century rabbi named Rabbi Eliezer Azkari, and he would say that the main reward for a mitzvah is for the great joy in it. The reward is commensurate to the joy in which the mitzvah is performed. And the great Kabbalists, Rabbi Isaac Luria, the Arizal, 16th century as well. He once said that all that is all that he achieved, the fact that the gates of wisdom and divine inspiration were opened for him, was a reward for his observance of mitzvot with tremendous, limitless joy. But, and if you look at those quotes, you'll see that joy was always limited to the study of the Torah, to the commandments that God uh, is upright, causing the heart to rejoice, to mitzvah observance, but in other areas of divine service, when serving God, specifically in the area of trying to become a better person, 
when striving to cope, let's say, with temptations or, or bodily needs or impulses. Generally speaking, when it came to these types of things, the, the approach was self-affliction, was morose. And joy was not something people really thought about when it came to their own reflection, for their self-reflection. And that's why I believe the Baal Shem Tov said a person must always be happy, really differentiating, not just during those moments that generally Jewish people were happy, but always. The Baal Shem Tov actually drew on an age-old Jewish teachings. He said all your actions should be for the sake of heaven, that whatever we do, whether it's eating, whether it's sleeping, whether it's business, and even our leisure activities, they can all be part of our divine service, provided that they're done with the proper intentions. So because of that, if a person is serving God in all their actions, then what ends up happening? They serve God with joy. And that joy, as the Baal Shem Tov explains, applies to all times, to all situations. The idea of depression. Even if the depression is due to a regret of a sin, it's not a good character trait. It's an obstacle to serving God. This is what the Baal Shem Tov said. Interestingly enough, it was a statement that really cost him a great deal of his leadership at the time. People were not happy with this. So, why happiness? Why is happiness so important? Why is being happy at all times so important? There's a beautiful parable that Rabbi Schneer Zaman of Liadi says. says that just as it's a victory over a physical opponent, like in the case of two people wrestling, each one is trying to throw the other down. One of them is lazy and lethargic. They're going to be easily defeated and beaten. But if you're stronger, then you won't be. Sorry, even if you're stronger, if you're lazy and lethargic, if you're dejected, you're going to be easily defeated. So he says, so too, it's impossible to conquer the evil nature with laziness and, 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 and being lethargic, which are symptoms of sadness. And as he explains, a, a stone-like dullness of the heart. The only way to win is with joy. And that's what I saw with the soldiers. You see, whether or not they're stronger than those they're fighting physically doesn't matter as much as what their disposition is. If we are down and dejected, we cannot win. Right now, the call of the hour at this moment is to be joyous, to be upbeat, to be uplifted, to not get beaten down. A half a million comments on one person's social media page, that is created to bring a person down, to make a person dejected. That's created to bring us 
to a place where we can't survive. We can't wake up. We're depressed. It's so easy. It's so easy to get, to get pushed into this, this, this sadness and this depression. And we have, I would say, an obligation right now. And I don't say this lightly, an obligation in spite of the world to be happy. I'll tell you something I'm very happy about. Just two days ago, we saw the greatest pro-Israel march in recorded history. It wasn't the 20,000 that Al Jazeera said. May not have been the 290,000 that the organizers said. But even as a friend of mine said, he said he's good with math. And he did like his his calculation while he was there. And he said, ah, maybe it's about 150,000. 150,000 people? That's insane. There's not that many of us in the world. That's that's already a number. That's a percentage point of the Jews of, of, of North America. 150,000 or 200,000, whatever number you want to say. And that's the thing. You know, some people were upset about numbers. Doesn't matter. We came out and we came out strong and it shows there is a vast majority, a silent, unfortunately, sometimes too silent majority of people who care, who are with us. Yeah, the haters somehow hate it, it misery loves company. So hate has such a strong connection. People get connected when you, oh, you, you want to hate together. The easiest way to gather people is to hate. It's harder to gather people with joy. But what did we see there? We saw joy. We saw a strong sense of, of, of not only Jewish pride, but also American pride, which is a very beautiful thing also compared to the haters who hate on the country they live in. Joy is a very hard thing to unite with. Our call today, right now, is to unite with joy. Instead of getting together, it's so easy. Everybody wants to hear all the misery because everybody loves the misery. They love it. Oh, tell me. Tell me how terrible things are. Oh my gosh, tell me about the anti-Semitism. Are you tired of swiping right on every dating app out there and still getting nowhere? Are you convinced that you'll forever be alone, surrounded by nothing but uh, cats and empty takeout containers? Hi, I'm Aliza Ben Shalom, the host of the new show, Jewish Matchmaking, which you can find on Netflix. And I'm the love rabbi, Rabbi Yisrael Bernath, and we're inviting you to join us for Matchmaker Matchmaker. Each week, we'll answer one of your pressing relationship questions, from how to get over your ex to how to deal with your partner's annoying habits. So if you're ready to laugh, uh, cry, or maybe even find love, then tune in to Matchmaker Matchmaker, and it's available now wherever you listen to your podcasts. Everybody loves that. I'm so happy also, by the way, that 
the, the, the conversation is changing. I've been talking about this for a long time, but the conversation is changing. People aren't calling anti-Semitism anymore because the other side, they're saying they're also Semites. So now finally people are calling it what it is, Jew hatred. That's the new term. I'm seeing it all over the place now. Finally, it's Jew hatred. Uh, and you see, all, all, you see, I see all of a sudden, you see, even your eyes are perking up when I'm starting to talk about the, the terrible things. Because misery loves company. We have to get together. And instead of getting drowned into all the difficulties, and I'm, I know that I'm speaking to myself first, instead of getting drowned in all of the terrible media and everything that's going on, and and the people who are saying, oh, the anti-Semitism is on, a, or, or, or Jew hatred is on a 2,000% rise. I don't know what these terms and numbers are today. We have to unite with joy. We have to get together and we have to, we have to do, follow the direction of the Israeli soldiers. Whenever they have a moment, whenever they're not fighting the battle, they get together and they party. They dance and they sing. And they and you can see the videos. If you don't haven't seen the videos, I have tons of videos that I took myself. It's the greatest thing that we can do right now. It's the call of our moment. We are getting too sucked in to the world's view. The world wants us to be down and sad. This has happened to the Jewish people over and over again. And it's been the defining moment for us. Do we get sucked into the world and be dejected? Or do we rise above it with pride, with joy, and have, I want the haters to say, what are you so happy about? That's what I want them to say. You're not supposed to be happy. What are you so happy about? We're happy because there has never been a unity amongst the Jewish people in my lifetime like what I'm seeing right now. There has never been a spiritual renaissance. People wanting to do a mitzvah, wanting to study, wanting to connect. There is a, 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 a so many non-Jews who are starting to put up mezuzahs on their door as a way of 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 solidarity with the Jewish people. People who are not Jewish are putting mezuzahs on their door. I, I encourage them. They don't have to put the scroll, or if they want, if they're not Jewish, they don't have to have the, 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 the parchment scroll like the Jews do. They can put, you know, somebody asked me yesterday, they called me and they said, should, is it okay? Is it appropriate misappropriation for me to put a mezuzah on my door in solidarity? And I said, you can buy a case and then you can take a piece of paper and write the most beautiful, wonderful message to the Jewish people. And you can put that inside. And that is a beautiful way of solidarity. I don't think they have to put a parchment inside. First of all, it's very expensive. The case is much cheaper. It's going to cost them 10 or $12. And it's still, it, it, it serves the point. Because the point is, is that there was somebody who was saying that that especially in France and other places, that homes with mezuzahs were being targeted. So it is a very strong message for a mezuzah case on your door to, to as, a, as a way of solidarity with the Jewish people. This is the stories that we need to amplify. This is the stories that we need to talk about. 
There is a unity amongst people that I have never seen before. It's very easy, very easy to get bogged down. It's very easy to feel dejected. It's very easy to give into the hate. We're sensitive people. We don't want people to hate us, especially because we really didn't even do anything for the hate. It's not even a, a founded hate. I was thinking to myself, you know, somebody wrote this disgusting, disgusting message on, on, on social media that got a lot of traction about me. The fact that uh, I told them that Palestine doesn't exist. By the way, I sent them the Wikipedia article that Palestine doesn't exist. That doesn't mean that I don't have a tremendous amount of sympathy for the people who call themselves Palestinians who right now are victims and they're suffering tremendously, of which I'm proud that the IDF actually has done an amazing thing, took over Shifa Hospital yesterday and right away, immediately brought in life-saving equipment and supplies that were desperately needed. I'm proud to be part of a people who takes care. Whether you love us or you hate us, I don't care. We love life and we will celebrate life for those who love us and for those who hate us. And I'm proud to be part of this people. It's a, it's a difficult time now. And it's a time that we can easily become dejected. It's a time that we can easily give in. It's a time that even if we stand up a little bit, we will get hate. And we should stand up. Do not stay silent. We cannot be silenced. We should stand up. We must stand up. And by taking that stance, it's very hard. I can tell you from personal experience. I'm a very sensitive soul. It's hard to take that kind of hate. And, I, and I'm, I'm proud of it, but also get a little dejected from it. And so right now, we more than ever, A, we need to be unified and together. B, we need to continue to Torah, Tefillah, and Tzedakah. We have to give charity, we have to pray, and we have to study. And most of all, most of all, we have to follow the words of the Baal Shem Tov. We must be happy at all times. Oh, but I'm inside. I'm, I'm hurting. So what? Fake it till you make it. Be happy. Find a reason. Be like an Israeli soldier and just randomly go to Spotify, put on your favorite Jewish song, Am Yisrael Chai or whatever it is, and just dance. You're feeling down? Just dance. Because that's what we do. And may all the haters say, what are you happy about? And we can say, because we don't need a reason. We don't need a reason to be happy. And it doesn't mean that we're, we're, we're not thinking every single moment about the hostages. May they be released immediately, immediately unscathed. And it doesn't mean that we're not being sympathetic to the victims of this terrible, terrible atrocity. It doesn't mean that we're that that we're letting that we're any any less connected and fighting for the most important cause that we can fight for. It means simply that we are going to win 
the battle of public opinion just by being happy. We love life. We love life because that is what Hashem gave us. It's a gift that God gave us. Every single soul has a unique purpose in this world. No soul that came before you, no soul that will come after you, and no soul that's living here during your lifetime has the same unique purpose that you do. And that's why we love life. Because we know that we have a unique purpose in this world. Hashem should bless each and every one of us that we should continue to be happy at all times. And that Hashem should be able to, as a result of our joy, and as a result of our mitzvahs, as a result of our Torah, tefillah, and tzedakah, that Hashem should, we should hear today, immediately, right now, even before this class is over, that the hostages have been freed, all of them unscathed, and that we should have absolute peace in the world, and that this should be true peace, peace that comes as a result of being able to wage a battle, though unpopular, that will benefit not only ourselves, but those on the other side as well. Amen. Amen. Hi, Rabbi Bernath here. I have some great news for you. My popular four-week course, Kabbalah for Everyone, is available right now for free for the next 50 people who download it. All you have to do is go to www.theloverabbi.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and you're going to see the download button right there. In this course, I talk about the Kabbalistic secrets to relationships, to wealth, to happiness, and balance. This special offer has been dedicated in loving memory of Ellie Dorfman. I look forward to hearing from you and hope you enjoy the course. Now on to today's episode.